Thanks for downloading this episode of Historic Racing News. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching for Historic Racing News wherever they get their podcasts. Welcome to the Historic Racing News Radio Show. Hello, my name is Paul Tarsi, and I'm joined as usual by the uh, by the motley crew that is Paul Jurd, Jim Roller, and Joe Bradley. And I think that as we come men, to the men, end men, of 2021, <laughs> um, it would be a good opportunity to look at what we've done during the year. We all thought a year ago that 2021 was going to be back to normal, and we now know that that's far from the case. So it's just time to take a look back at where we've been with some thoughts about the experiences outside and inside our our usual sphere of influence. Some, Some stuff may be a bit more modern, but we're going to be talking about books, TV, films people we've met all sorts of things and we'll also be looking at some of our favorite bits of the historic racing news radio show as well jim roller i know that you enjoyed your conversation for example with bill adam which was uh, which we had as a part of our historic racing news radio show earlier in the year he's a fasc- fascinating man he is he is and he's one of those guys that was there and saw it in the era of American motorsport, when IMSA GTP cars ruled the day, and it was a lot of fun to chat with him about how his uh, arrival at the Jaguar team that was run by Bob Tullius came about. It was fun to talk about the Trans Am races that he had before he went to work with Tullius, and just that whole relationship, and that was uh, a lot of fun. And it really brought back some great memories for me because that's when I started to cut my uh, cut my teeth in the television business. And so it was it was a lot of fun to reminisce about those days and to hear some of the behind the scenes stories that that I kind of I kind of knew things had happened, but you don't ever really know the real story of Hmm. of what happened unless you can get somebody that was in on it to 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 give up the goods and he did. uh, And it was, and it was fantastic to hear how some of those arrangements were made and and things came together and how they enjoyed such a successful period of of racing together and what a great relationship they had. That was really neat to hear really positive stories come out of, of that era. And Joe Bradley, I know that you felt the same way about talking to Rob Smedley and he actually told a few stories to us, which I didn't know for sure. Oh, wasn't that just a brilliant time spent listening to Rob? All right. He was predominantly talking about his electric cart uh, series, which we'll I'll be talking about in earnest in a couple of weekends time as they come to my local track at Warden Law. Um, but we were able to take the opportunity, weren't we, to talk to Rob about his career as a as a as a Formula One race engineer and where it all started back at Pillbeam and I really admired Rob for his honesty and 
what a great if you listeners if you haven't listened to that Rob Smedley interview do because the is a his Fernando Alonso story was golden um and then his the insight that he gave us his per, the, of of how he felt personally about not clinching that 2008 world championship literally at the last corner of the season it was snatched away for a set for about 30 seconds. It was the property of himself and Felipe Massa as the driver in Ferrari. And then Lewis Hamilton was able to get past uh, Timo Glock. And Rob was very honest in how he reacted to that. And he was very, he gave me the impression of, and it didn't surprise me what he said at the time when the team was jumping up and down because Massa had won the race. And Robert said, you know, the race wasn't over it's not over yet. Why are these people celebrating? And sure enough. Um, and what did he say, Paul? He said about, about an hour after the race, he found himself at the back of the paddock somewhere quiet. And he, he literally bawled his eyes out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and I think that's not him being a softie. He's from the Northeast for God's sake. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's purely down to the release of the, the, the intensity, the emotion, the intensity of not just the day, remember, the, the week leading up to it from the previous race or even the previous races coming into contention for a world championship, for a Formula One world championship, and all that tension and, and, and emotion released. I, I just loved. And you know what, Paul? Didn't we just chip the surface of the man's career? Oh, there's so much more to tell. And uh, he he did say to you that he would be more than happy to come back and, and talk again. And I think I'll, that's that's one of the bookmarks for 2022. I'll for be us, reminding him to come back. I'll be reminding him of that next week. Yeah. Um, I'll be, one of the first things I want to say to Rob is, so Rob, when can we uh, when we, can we chat to you about uh, about the rest of your career? Yes, we need yes. that in the bag. But it it was very much that that Felipe Massa story at Interlagos that got to me because I'd never heard it before. I've never oh, seen yeah, it. I've never read it. That yeah. he did all the professional stuff, briefed the briefed the team, you know, that yeah, well done, you've all done good stuff. And then went and sat on the other side of the porter cabin at the at the back of that very crowded paddock in, in Interlagos and uh, and had a quiet cry and, and then said that Every time he got up to uh, to to go and face the crew again, he burst into tears again. And yeah, uh, and and as you say, big roughy tufty boy from the northeast. But uh, <laughs> I my my view of him, which was already very very high, went up several notches after that. Yeah, great stories. I think you'll find that it's those guys that cry the hardest because it means so much to them. Yeah. And I in no way mean that in a when I say they cry the hardest because it in any derogatory way, I mean that in the most genuine and loving way that they are the ones that it means so much to. And it is the relief of the season. Joe hit the nail on the head. That wasn't, that was the, an emotional release that is, was probably really cathartic for him and allowed mm-hmm. him to move on and, yeah. and, and then, and eventually face the crew. And, and do the right things to be a good leader and manager. And we all grew up in a, in a time when you know, real men don't eat quiche. It was, it was very much that, that kind of time. Boy, did they real miss men out. Don't cry. And <laughs> that it's, I think that has changed a lot now, and that's for the better, that people 
can show their emotion and uh, that it's a it's a part of life. Paul Jord, you were you had a, an interesting time earlier in the year when you hosted the Porsche anniversary dinner with three fairly important people. Ah, yes, yes. It's like I think, I think I've used the phrase before, herding cats. But uh, I was fortunate enough to be on stage with uh, Richard Atwood. So a 1970 Le Mans winner, first person to win Le Mans for Porsche. Five times Le Mans winner, Derek, Derek Bell. And uh, Jocker Mass, a famous Porsche name, and uh, who obviously actually did win Le Mans, but that was in a Sauber, wasn't it? So we don't talk about that. <laughs> or, well, we didn't on the night. No, not, and, not and, the Porsche do. And, you, and you're right, yeah. It's And, you know, I was thinking about the highlights. And I thought, once upon a time, the highlights were the cars, weren't they? You know, the cars you see, I saw a 250F. And, and now I think it is. And everyone's touched on it so far. The highlights are the people, because the people aren't necessarily going to be there forever. And it's those interactions you have with them that are fantastic. But, you know, I was supposed to do a 20-minute Q&A with them. And to be honest, I could have just fired one question and let them bicker quite happily for the rest <laughs> of the time because they'd obviously, you know, they knew each other. They were sat there. They had little pops at each other. Jochen went off on his little tangents. And some at one point even managed to drop in the top speed he'd done in an Arrows Formula 1 car. I wasn't quite sure how that fitted in with what I'd asked him, but he was determined to tell us. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was just a fantastic night. And the audience were just so on side. It was fortunate. It was a you know, Porsche club audience. They knew who they were looking at. They knew the relevance of these people. And uh, yeah, it was a unique and fantastic evening. Now, Jim, you've, um, you've had a, a busy and turbulent year one way and another. And what, we, what would be some of your thoughts about events you either went to or or saw reported through the year uh that that's a hard one because expectations were so high at the beginning of the year for a return to normality or a partial return to normality and we we just fell a little short of that but uh here in the states i was able to take in a, a couple of events of course we had Lynn St. James being the honoree at Amelia Island. And that was not only unbelievably appropriate, but that too was unbelievably moving because she was probably of all of the Amelia Island honorees that I've had the privilege to spend time with in going to that event for many, many years. She was probably the one that exuded the most appreciation for the honor and for her there was a fair bit of validation involved in being recognized for her not only accomplishments but contributions to the sport and of course we had that I was able to grab that wonderful little interview with her right as she got out of her Trans Am Roush Mustang that she drove out onto the Amelia Island field. And if you've ever been to that event, you know what a great big occasion that is. And the, the appreciation and the sheer unmitigated joy that she uh, just it came out of every pore of her body. I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic to see. That was probably without a doubt the highlight of the year. The other event that really was a lot of fun, and it was just this is just on a strictly personal basis. It was the first time since 1980, so you can you can do the math on that. That I actually got to go back to my home church, Watkins Glen, 
and see Formula One cars going around that circuit again as part of a Masters weekend that was at the Glen. It was a reduced event, again, because of COVID, but to be able to hear those three-liter Cosworths, and there was even a, a Ferrari 312, uh, one of Lauda's cars there, absolutely thrilling and just kept my heart racing for, for three days while I was there. And my wife and I were with our camping car and, and the dogs, and we stayed close enough that if we weren't at the racetrack, you could hear the cars running on the racetrack. And it took me back to when I was in school, and the cars would be there the week of the race testing. And in downtown Watkins Glen, we could hear them, especially things like the Matra and those cars that were really loud. Uh, we you could you could hear them in the schoolyard, and it was just absolutely fantastic to uh, to kind of relive some of those experiences. It was great. It was it was great. So those would have to be my two highlights. I mean, you, mm. you were always going to be a petrol head with with the sound of a matra in the schoolyard. Yeah, you didn't have a chance. No, no, I didn't have a chance. My parents, um, before I was even born, used to go to the Glen to watch races when they raced. Uh, on the old circuit, which goes up through the state park and and which was basically a street circuit and um so yeah it was it was kind of preordained and then our our family doctor was a track physician in the in the sixties and and very early seventies until he passed away dr francis ward so yeah it was i didn't i didn't really didn't really have much choice and when and when we were in school uh, Friday of Grand Prix weekend was a school holiday. So we didn't have any school on Friday, so we could sneak up to the racetrack. And we actually used to, uh, believe it or not, when we were, we were much younger then, rode our bikes up that hill. And if you've ever been to the Glen, when I say up that hill, you're going to go, oh, are you <laughs> kidding me? But yeah, we managed to ride our bikes up that hill to uh, to go and sneak into the backside of the racetrack and practices of course then when we got older you found the 16 year old had the car you know and you, and you rode up there with, <laughs> with that clown in the car you know and you, but you still had to sneak in the back so the best thing that ever happened to us was when they did the boot in the 70s because you could there were ways into the racetrack that the people didn't know through the woods and you could cut a hole in the fence and and sneak in and and sit there and watch testing um, just as long oh, as the wow. corner workers did. And most of the corner workers were pretty cool because they didn't know whether you'd snuck in or whether you got in, you know, yeah. the, the right way. So they didn't rat you out. But, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was – I had no choice. I had no chance. No, no choice. You didn't, didn't you? <laughs> and and, and I, lo I love that thing about being able to hear the cars because we've all been to Le Mans. We've all been to, to other circuits. But that thing when you're – in in town at Le Mans, and you can still hear the cars out on the track, which is probably you know three four miles away, but you can still hear the cars out on track. I I love all that. that and, and, takes and, over. And, and and just a, a quick aside, Paul. The other thing that happens, and Joe asked me uh, earlier in the week about some recollections of my first trip to Dubai for the twenty four hours of Dubai when when we first started covering that, and it. It actually, uh, my first trip to the Nürburgring for the 24 hours of the Nürburgring, we were staying at the hotel that's actually on the circuit. And our coverage 
ended about 11 o'clock and we were supposed to pick it back up the next morning. And so we went to the hotel. And of course, that drone of the cars for 24 hours, it puts you right to sleep. It's like it's like white noise. And Graham Goodwin and I were sharing a room and we both almost instantaneously woke up at the same time because things had gone silent because the fog was so thick. You couldn't see the nose at the end, the end of your nose on your face. And they had stopped the race and it had gone quiet. And that quiet is what woke us up. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what's uh, what? What are your thoughts that you'll take away from events during the year? How many historic festivals did we do, Paul? Um, yeah, I, a few. I did, I, yeah, I did. Um, I remember back in the summer. Um, very fond memories that I'll take with me of the Donington Historics, um, and then on to Thruxton, which was um, the weekend of the twelfth and thirteenth of June which, of course, was the usual weekend of the Le Mans 24 hours. And it was a little bit of a consolation being able to be at Thruxton. Um, Donington next year, just to quickly mention, I've, I've just been speaking to Richard Grafton today, actually, Paul, and uh, it looks like um, I'm very much on for repeat a repeat of Donington 2022. And there is a Group C grid being complete, compiled. Yes. Um, uh, what's, the, what's the date on that? That is the oh Jim, I'll I'll text you it. Um, well, I happen to be available. Hang on, hang on. I'll tell you, mate. I'll tell you, mate. Because <laughs> I, underneath. Uh, oh no, I don't the, care when it is. I just want you to know I'm available. <laughs> all right, yeah. It's the uh, the last weekend of the April, which is also the first of May on the Sunday. So um, uh, I, it looks like I'm going to have to um, uh, get get my spare bedroom ready, doesn't it, Jim? Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, that that would be great. That's 2022, but back back to 2021, guys. Um, two great festivals. I think the saddest thing of 21. I think Jim mentioned it. We went into 21 hoping to get back some semblance of order. We we haven't, of course, and I, I kind of missed getting out to the United States, not just to see Jim, of course, uh, but also the HSR Classics. You know, the the mm. Mitty, which took place in April. Um, you know, all right, the grids lacked Europeans predominantly and then we've just had the two classics at Daytona and Sebring which I was able to sort of keep tabs on uh by the powers of the internet but uh, again looked like strong grids uh for those events and um I'm just hoping and praying that things will settle down and we get to grips with having to deal with this uh this virus and we can start traveling backwards and forwards again that would be nice but I, I think it's, I'm not going to say which historic festival of the two that I did, which one was my favourite, because that'll be like choosing your favourite child, which I think is probably an easier choice, to be honest. Uh, but that's another story. Um, I, had, I particularly enjoyed the Le Mans 24 hours. I know it's not historic racing, but it, it will eventually become an historic event, and I think it already is. And I think at the time, guys, can you remember, I described it as a discrete classic. And even though it looked like total Toyota, Toyota domination, peeled back the glossy veneer and they were paddling like hell to get that car home, weren't they? With all yeah. that shenanigans going on with the fuel metering unit and the fuel pressure and getting the drivers to basically switch off the engine under braking and switch it back on by going through a process on the steering wheel. Um, just phenomenal. I think when we look back at the history of the sport, um, which sort of comes up, 
comes upon us quite quickly these days, doesn't it? it seems doesn't to be. It? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I think that was possibly another uh, highlight. Uh, I've done a lot of karting 2021. I've, um, we've mentioned this before. Um, and of course, 2021 isn't over. We mentioned Rob Smedley. I've got his um, total karting series coming to Warden Law. It's a two-day meeting on the 18th and 19th of December, the weekend before um, Christmas. And looking forward to that. That's going to be piggybacking our um, our two-day race meeting. And uh, just look forward to having a casual chat to Rob as well as seeing those electric carts, which are the future. Um, so 2021, not quite open. Uh, not quite over, I should say. Um and looking forward to 2022 as always. In motorsport, we just keep pushing, don't we? We just, you know, that okay, that that race is done. All right, what's next? That's yeah, I idea. think you're right, and and that's yeah. We we look look forward and move on. Um, Paul, you're uh, you had your your great time at the Porsche anniversary dinner, and I know that you frequent the the Porsche paddock throughout the year. What uh, what would be your high spots? Um, I was just actually thinking that about the Porsche paddock. You know, it's uh, a bit strange because we've got cars racing with us, which we regard ourselves, if you like, as a modern frontline race championship, Porsche Club championship. And, um, you know, we've got cars in there older than some cars that we're talking about in historic racing, which is that sort of strange thing I think you can get in motorsport, isn't it? Where you can have a car that you could just race year in, year out. You know, we've got early boxsters, which are 20, 20 years old. But yeah. I was thinking, actually, you know, and I said earlier on about so much of things are people. And uh, like yourself, Paul, you know, we had those uh, those fun evenings hosting at the various Goodwood events across the year. And I had a couple of memorable incidents there at uh, at the members meeting. I was you know, talking to the guests like we were we were supposed to and we were there to do. And um, one lovely gentleman actually started asking me questions way beyond my pace, pay scale <laughs> about the use of the carbon fiber on that McLaren MP46 that uh, Bruno, Bruno Senna demoed. And um, literally, he's, you know, he's asking me about weaves and temperatures. And I'm going, I really don't know any of this. And I looked over his shoulder straight at Gordon Murray. And I thought, OK. So I led him over. I introduced ourselves to Gordon, explained about the tours and what a gentleman Gordon Murray is. He quite happily took over and for at least 10 minutes or so answered every single question. And, uh, you know, he was operating at a level I couldn't even get close to. Wow. But I th- think my real highlight was when we were doing this at the Revival and I was fortunate enough to have those beautiful 1.5 litre Formula One cars from the early 60s as part of my area. And, you know, I was particularly fond of that. You know, you know I've got a weakness, Lotus 25, beautiful car. Yeah. And there's the one in there in the, in the classic um, Lotus you know, green with the yellow stripe. And uh, there was an elderly gent stood in front of it. So I wandered over and launched into my, oh, surely the best Formula One car ever routine, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, no, no, Lotus 72 is the best. No, no, no! This is the first monocoque. This is the Clark Hawk had so much success with you, Lotus Seventy Two. And I said, "So, so why, why the Lotus Seventy Two for you?" And he, he, he pitched it perfectly. He stopped. He looked at me and he said, "I built the monocoques for most of them." Oh, oh! <laughs> and we had this fantastic chat. He said he never had a conversation with Colin Chapman that didn't start with the Lotus Supremo saying, "Can it be lighter?" And <laughs> really. It was, it was fantastic. Suddenly you were, you were stood with a bit of history. Yes. You know, this guy had built Lotus 72s. Fabulous. You know, I wasn't so much put back in my box as put back in my box, taped up and posted to the far end of the country. <laughs> Which were, yeah, at, what, at the what time, a... Paul, at the time, Paul, if you think back, the Lotus 72 was quite 
very innovative for the time. Inboard brake discs, front and rear, and front especially, with some weird kind of suspension setup. It had anti-dive and everything on it, didn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah, early, yeah. Early yeah, yeah, absolutely. How so, many yeah. transmissions did it have? Oh, God. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get clutches. Yeah, clutches. Yeah, 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 clutches. yeah but, uh, but yeah, you know, <laughs> suddenly you're stood next to a guy who was there. He was there. He worked with Chapman. He built these cars that we rave about. It was fantastic yeah. and highlighted my year easily. Mm. I, I officially <laughs> hate both of you guys. Just, <laughs> just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just uh, just for the record, eh? I mean, f- for me, um, I I thoroughly enjoyed the Concours, at, which is Salon Privé, uh, which is held at the uh, Blenheim Palace, which you know, kind of helps. One of the most beautiful <laughs> gardens in Britain, if not in the world, and they had their their best of show was a nineteen thirty eight Mercedes Benz. 540k so one of those one of those big big butch mercedes of the immediate pre-war period it's it's a great place i say the the gardens are fabulous you get to be able to walk around the house if you want to but it's it's the epitome of the right crowd and no crowding if uh, if i can steal the old brooklyn's ethic are you you pay to get in, you pay quite a lot to get in, but once you're in, everything's included. So you arrive and somebody comes and brings you your coffee and croissant for breakfast and then your champagne and lunch a bit later on. And uh, that's normally that is uh, grilled lobster, but this year they couldn't do that for various COVID-related things. So we had to make do with something altogether more plebeian. Uh, afternoon tea there's maybe 50 exhibitors uh, and and that's everything from people who are selling what i think is euphemistically called country wear which is tweed and and big wellington boots and all those kind of things right the way up to people who are selling helicopters and almost everything in between so there's there's a very gentle art to it. Bentley are there and Rolls Royce are there. And that was, that was great. There's fabulous cars on the show field, as, you, as you'd expect. A couple of Ferrari 250 GTOs made the oh. trip. Um, Jaguars, Maseratis, and obviously that's, that Mercedes as well. Um, the exhibitors, you get people like um, DK Engineering, um, who will be there? And they they brought some some glorious cars. McLaren had a stand with some old and some new cars on it. So that was that was a good one to go to, and uh, and I enjoyed that. And that was I, I know it's not a race. And as far as the race event for me of the year, that would be the Goodwood Members Meeting, which uh, is talked on here before about the fact that it hasn't got the the glitz and the glamour of the revival and in my humble opinion is better for it because it's something a bit different you nowhere near the crowds and the crowds who are there are there to watch the racing on track to the point where when it started raining on the saturday when no sorry on the sunday morning 
just before the big cars from the um, pre-Second World War cars were coming out, so the Bentleys and all those sorts of things. When it started raining, there weren't people dashing for cover and saying, I'm going to go and stand in and get a cup of coffee. Everybody came to the fences because that's going to be great. That's going to be brilliant to watch these cars, and it was to see those cars. The um, The save of the year, as far as I'm concerned, was uh, when in in that race the Fiskin entered car um, by Christoph Cowens, who works for Gregor Fiskin, in a huge. When I say a Vauxhall, it wasn't a Corsa or a uh, or a Vectra. This is the size of a vintage Bentley. Came down to came down to Woodcut in the pouring rain and did a complete three sixty without hitting anything, stuck it in first gear and drove off again. I mean, that man has got nerves of steel. But those those were probably my favourite events of the year. And I think, you know, there's, there has been a paucity of, of events, but there were some good ones, and we certainly had that. Jim, have you had a chance to... See anything on TV or um, or catch up on your reading? Well, as we discussed uh, when Mr. Jurd was uh, knocked down due to his health, how he caught up on all his reading, and I I mainly just watch old episodes of Charlie's Angels. Um, <laughs> but I I did manage to uh, uh, investigate. I'm I'm part way through. Um, one book that I'm really excited about, and that is uh, Alan Sir Jr., uh, A Checkered wow. History. Uh, oh, right. Written, okay. That was written by Jade Gerse. Jade is a, is a dear friend, uh, PR type here in the United States, who's been involved with racing for a long time. Uh, the other book that I would recommend that Jade wrote, if you're at all interested in the Penske organization or um, any any IndyCar racing or anything like that, is he wrote a wonderful story about all the behind-the-scenes machinations of when Roger Penske and M.O., and I think Al Jr. was in the team then as well, um, showed up at Indianapolis with the secret Mercedes engine that they then destroyed all the competition with and how they kept it a secret and, and that sort of stuff. So it was... Uh, yeah, that, those uh, those two are probably the have been the highlights of the year in my reading. I think that uh, anybody that even has a passing interest in motorsports would probably be fascinated by the Schumacher documentary. Um, mm. Mm. I, I found that very interesting. Showed me a side of the man that that I I well, I, why would I ever? get to know him i i didn't i don't run in those circles but it it you know changes some opinions that you that you may or may not have and uh the other one obviously is the uh there was an episode of the uh, formula one series that dealt with the incident a year ago with roman grosjean Mm-hmm. And all the behind the scenes uh, with the doctors and with Roman talking about it, 
and I saw that about the time that he was really starting to make an imprint in the American IndyCar series. And so that just made that all that much more interesting to me to see not only what he survived, but how he was then thriving after surviving it. So that, mm. that too is a great, was a great story. Yeah. I, th- I think when Romain Grosjean's full story came out, which, which probably falls into the remit of 2021, it was chilling, wasn't it? That oh. the, his stories of how he got out of the car and, and, yeah. Oh, um, unthinkable, unthinkable, yeah. and you know, that. I know. And, and, and the documentary included some video and some angles that the Formula One television did not show us at the time. Yeah, that were even more chilling. I'll, I'll use that word. Yeah, yeah, and. It it seems churlish to say that he was lucky because he was incredibly unlucky, but he was lucky to get out of it. But I think a major part of just getting out of that that horrible, horrible accident was his strength of character, and nothing nothing more or less than that. I think it was it was all of that. Uh, Paul, what have uh, what have you been catching up on? Well. <clears throat> As, as uh, Jim pointed out, I'm a big reader. I love my books, as as do you, Paul, actually. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work of the late Chris Nixon. And I think while yeah. everyone's aware of, um, you know, his seminal Mon Ami Mate book about uh, you know, the 1950s and Mike Hawthorne and Tony Collins, you know, and I think I've recommended before his book, if you can find a secondhand copy, Racing the Silver Arrows, which is uh, puts the state-backed activities of Mercedes-Benz and Auto Union in the 1930s into superb historical and cultural context. But, uh, you know, you can't leave the revival without buying a book, can you? And on the way back to the car at Goodwood, I left with uh, Sports Car Heaven, Aston Martin DBR1 versus Ferrari Testarossa. You don't really need to say more than that, do you, to know wow. that this is going to be quite a book. And it's just really the tale of those two classic sports cars of the late 1950s. <clears throat> I can't talk too much about it because I'm doing that strange thing that you do sometimes of deliberately reading it very slowly to maximise <laughs> how much I'm enjoying it. And it is. It's, you know, it's the usual thing you get from Chris Nixon. Superbly researched text. Loads of pictures that I haven't seen before. There's a fantastic picture of the Testarossa at Monzan turning right. And literally, I don't know if the guy's a marshal or who he is, but he stood on a wall about two foot away. The driver could have high-fived him as he went around the corner. And those were the days, weren't they? Yeah. I always used to try that with sex, Paul, but it never worked. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that's but that's uh, that's a thought I'm going to have trouble getting out of my head. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's an age thing I find. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if you do Chris Nixon, can't go wrong with Chris Nixon, and I'm, his books are actually being republished under the Transport Bookman Publications banner, which I think actually is linked to Chaters, the booksellers. So, but if in doubt, if you see his name on a book, just buy it. But I have one other book I have to mention. I even have a prop for this in a minute. You're going to love this. I hope if this works. That's and, radio. Um, it's radio. It's radio. Yeah, I've got a face for radio. I'm in my natural environment. And um, I think this actually doesn't count as a book and fall, falls firmly into the underused classification of tome. And right. I don't know if anyone else has bought this, but I have a copy of The Brothers Rodriguez by Carlos Ooh. Eduardo Halif Valalon. Got if it. I pronounced it correctly. I got it. It's oh. uh, You know exactly where I'm going with this. I, you, you need a refrigerator dolly to move it around from one <laughs> room to the next. Oh, wow. oh don't, don't, spo- don't spoil it. I've weighed the book. 
And literally, you know, for, 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 for those who don't know, the, the brothers were national heroes in Mexico. Ricardo was a Ferrari driver at age 19 in Formula One, scored points in the 1962 Belgian Grand Prix to become the youngest ever scorer. A record held until the 2000 Brazilian Grand Prix. Very quickly, who was the youngest scorer at that point? 2000. Jensen Button. Jensen Button it was. Very good. Whoa, back of the net. Bonus points, yeah. And, and Ricardo died at the 1962 Mexican Grand Prix meeting aged just 20 in, in a Rob Walker Lotus. And, you know, he had a stunning career. And, and if he hadn't, you know, he, he could have had done so much more. But he's often overlooked due to his brother Pedro, who did win two Grand Prix, had that 1968 Le Mans win in a GT40. And, uh, you know, numerous sports cars, including being associated with the JWA Golf livery Porsche 917s. And Pedro himself was killed in a relatively minor sports car race in the summer of 71. And, and the book is just an encyclopedic look at the brothers. You know, and I'm, going back to what Jim just said, I would also say it's possibly the first book I've ever purchased that I've ever really been intimidated by, actually. Because <laughs> it's not a light read. It's 600 pages, 4,000 pictures. It's not printed in a large print. It's in a quite a small print. And, you know, I bought it online. And please do support your local bookshop if possible. And hadn't realised it was so big. It arrived and it's 34 centimetres by 23 centimetres. It's six centimetres thick. It weighs four kilos. Wow. Yeah. You know, this, this is a book, you know, holding not, it like... You can't read it on the toilet then. No, it's not a toilet read, Joe. No, no, right. no, no. no. Holding it like a conventional book in front of your face is a no-no unless you're really keen on a good workout, frankly. And if you drop it on your foot, you may not walk again for at least four yeah. months. Yeah, it's, this, <laughs> this is an epic. So th- this is aforementioned book being put down on my desk. I really hope this works. If we heard that. That's how like your head fell off. No, no, no. My head's intact, as is the book. I will just check the desk later. But it, it is obviously a complete work of love by the author. And it is a fantastic reminder of these, these two quick and charismatic Mexican brothers. It's funny, isn't it, how books tend to fall into one of two categories, that there are excellent professional authors like Chris Nixon, like David Tremaine, um, and... They are doing brilliant, well-researched pieces of work. And then you get people who are clearly writing something which is altogether different. It is it is a labour of love. It is something that they they really wanted, wanted to do. And it's, yeah, I, I think sometimes those labours of love are better than the professionally written ones. Mm. Can I can I give you three that ought to be on your Christmas list? Yes, please. The Sam Posey scrapbook. Yep. Got it. You do you? Sorry, yep. no, I've got his other one where the right to meets the road. Oh no, this is this is his, right. scra- this is his, his scrapbook. Yeah. 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 It's it's his brand brand new one. Quest for Speed, which is right up your alley there, uh, Mr. Tarsi with the uh, world uh, land speed records. Yep. And there's a new one out from th- these are books that all have come out in December. There's a new one out from uh, oh no, I'm sorry, th- these came out in May, so that so they are out and, and available. John Zimmerman is a again, he's a, is a friend, uh, a, a prolific American motorsports journalist. But he's much. Uh, he would say I would say that John Zimmerman is America's answer to Bruce Jones, okay. and 
um, he has written a book, Lost in Time, and it's the history of the Formula 5000 series is here in oh. the United States. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And that's, nice. yeah. yeah. Nice. Tissue, please. Yep. yep. One of the ones that I've been reading recently, which very much falls into the labor of love category, is a book called Stephen South, The Way It Was, mm. which was written by a chap called Darren Banks. And unbelievably, this is his first book, and that it's a it's a a lovely book. We all we all know the story that Stephen South he was I mean he wasn't head and shoulders above everybody else, but he was he was good, very good in Formula Ford, in Formula Three, um, in Formula Two, and then got his second year in formula two and at that point he had the drive with alex hawkridge in the bp sponsored team uh, and everything was was going swimmingly uh, his teammate in that team was Derek warwick and everybody expected stephen south to be the champion for that year and it was just one of those one of those things you know that Derek Warwick's good, but he's not in Stephen South's league. And then South got the call from McLaren to go and do a test. Unfortunately, that happened at the same time as he was supposed to be testing his Formula 2 car. And he he made that dreadful decision and said to Alex Hawkridge and to Les Thacker, uh, from BP, look, I have a personal appointment and I will not be there on Friday. And he flew off to Paul Ricard and tested the McLaren, thinking he could get away with it. And of course he didn't. And that it was, it was soon found out by both of those gentlemen and they really had no choice. They had absolutely no choice. They, they sacked him. Because uh, wow. if... If you're in a situation where you can't trust your driver to tell you the truth, then then that's it. So they, they sacked Stephen South just as the season was about to start, and they put Brian Henton in the car. And that Stephen South then had no drive. Um, the McLaren test came to nothing, as it was always going to do. And that... Eventually, he did get a couple of McLaren drives, but at all the wrong times in all the wrong places. But he went to the US and he got a drive with Paul Newman in Can-Am, which he never got on with. The cars were, you know, he was used to driving single, little light, agile, single-seater cars. And he was suddenly in the in the big, heavy, wide cumbersome Can-Am cars, never got on with them at all, to the point where eventually he had a big accident in, in practice. And the top and the bottom of it is that he uh, he lost the, the bottom half of his, of his leg after the accident. Mm. And that was the end of his driving career. And this book, Stephen South, The Way It Was, is really the story of all that, and it's it's a fascinating book. It's a it's a paperback. It's a big paperback, but nonetheless, a paperback. Um, 
Stephen South has kind of cooperated with it. You know, there are there are clearly some some stories in there that he's not going to tell. Um, but Les Thacker, who's a good friend of mine, was was part of it. Uh, as was Alex Hawkridge. Lots and lots of people have have made comments. Um, Robin Hurd has written the foreword to it. But if ever there was a question of what might have been, I think that book really, right. really brought it home. I knew the story. What was the story. title again? Uh, Stephen South, The Way It Was. Um, and I would, yeah, thoroughly recommend it. Uh, it was a, it was a bit of a surprise because I I wasn't expecting it to be as forthright as it was. And the other books I've read this year, um, I loved Richard Heseltine's book on the bread van Ferrari. And we're all familiar. We all know the bread van. I mean, it's still out racing now, but the fact that it was built as a 250 short wheelbase that that um that palace revolt that we had or they had um where enzo's wife laura was interfering in everything and all the top team said no we're off we can't put up with this any longer they all followed giotto bizzarini who set up his own his own work. He was one of the people who left, and that was funded by um, Count Volpi and his Scuderia Serenissima. And they they went on to to build all sorts of cars, some which were great, some which were not. But the the book is all about the the bread van Ferrari. That I, I love these things where some some cars are always famous that they're they're always in the limelight the bread fan wasn't it had a reasonably successful life as a as a racing car in their early to mid 60s then became a road car Gianni Agnelli from Fiat bought it and painted it black and ran it on the road uh that you know there's there's all sorts of stories like that and pictures in it and that's that's a, a good book um the other one that I I loved was uh, was Mark Cole's book on the McLaren GTR, which is um, it's a work of art, nothing more than that. But then again, it should be four hundred and fifty quid. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I bought I bought two. Yeah, <laughs> one, one free yeah. day the weekend. Um, and <laughs> and I, I saw I saw Mark fairly recently, and that. He said they've all sold. That they they did a, a very limited production wow. run and they sold them all. So there's somebody out there who's who's buying them. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I got I got a copy um, sent to me, which was very nice, um, by Porter Press International, on the basis that I could read it and send it back. <laughs> Not surprised, <laughs> but at four hundred and fifty, how'd that minutes, work out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I tried ignoring it, but it it really didn't work. <laughs> but I, mean, I I love the book because it's it's in two volumes. One is all about the history of the car and how it 
was created and developed. And the second part is a full history of every single McLaren F1 GTR. So every single car from when it was when it was made right the way through to where it is today and what they look like today. So it's that was a good one. I enjoyed that. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a, a good one for me. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've all had. No, you haven't, you, you haven't heard my book choices of the year yet, Paul. No, I was just going to say. Oh, all right. Gonna... Okay. I thought you were, I thought you were moving on. No, would oh. I, would I do that right? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. So, um, so Go it's, on. My, it's my turn to tell you what I've read and watched now across the year. And if Porn anything, doesn't this, count, this lack, this lack, <laughs> how else do you spend your day? Um, um, so much to say, so little time. Um, the lack of traveling to foreign climes has enabled me to get stuck into my library of books that I tend to buy and they just sit there on shelves. And one of the ones that was actually published in 2015 was possibly my book of the year. And it's Howden Ganley's autobiography, The Road to Monaco. Um, if a book has ever brought home to me how much of I was born in the wrong era, it's this one. Um, when, you know, Howden, who worked for from New Zealand, came across to Europe, came across the UK. Guess who we worked for? Of course, Bruce McLaren. He was there fabricating, putting together, spannering at the track, fabricating at the workshop, building McLarens. He was there that fateful day at Goodwood in 1970. The book is is a kind of, it's not the sort of, and then we went to Kai Alami and did a one minute 24.3 and then finished seventh. Um, it's much more anecdotal. It's much more, in depth and it's just a beautiful read and it, and if you're a motorsport fan um then this is a must this is a must for your bookshelf um it's just a di- the, the different era of formula 1 of being able to you know build a formula 3 car and then hey I tell you what let's modify this into a formula 1 car and having you know the 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 passing of frank williams I think has sort of rekindled a little bit of sort of, for instance, I just picked off uh, off the shelf the other day and started having a little bit browse through at the um, Adam Cooper's Piers Courage uh, biography, um, Piers Frank Williams' first driver, you know, and just different eras, so different from today's Formula One. It's just incredible. So, you know, out there, Howden Ganley, who was quite a, quite a driver in his day, as well, uh, Formula Three, uh, Formula Five Thousand. He was no slouch in anything, and he drove for uh, some pretty big teams. Yardley BRM, then transitioned into Marlborough BRM. He drove for Frank Williams in the in the the, the rebadged ISO Marlborough, and then uh, in '74 he drove for March. Um, and he was, I think, there's a lot of people who were at the 1973 Canadian Grand Prix who. Set that it was that it was a wet dry wet dry race. Were you there, Jim? No. All right. Okay. You're not that old, are you? Um, Seventy three was a strange year. Peter Rebson ended up being awarded the win, but there was a lot of people. And remember, all the teams had their own personal uh, timing systems, i.e., the drivers' wives usually. Yes. 
and were very adept at doing that. And there was a lot of those people, some of them at the time, the official timekeepers went to some of these people and said, what's your thoughts on it? And they had Ganley as, as winning the, the Canadian Grand Prix. That would, have been, that would have been a great sort of icing on a cake. Um, I found a, a lovely little ditty in the form of a book, which is a softback. I'm not going to call it a paperback because it's kind of hard cardboard. It's not a thick book. It's kind of perhaps a complete contrast to the one Mr. Jurd was mentioning, as this is only, you know, it's a small, thin book. It's the Fred Orpert story. Oh. And, you know, you know, it's it's by a, a chap called Peter R. Hill. Um, and it's something, you know, people like Fred Orpert, you, all right, we, we've got lots of books on people who have who have become ultra famous in the sport. But people like Fred Orpert, who was very famous in his time, um, and try and find a book on him, and it, it's virtually impossible until Peter R. Hill came along and, and wrote this. And when you think about the drivers that he brought into the sport or, or, or was connected to in the sport, let's say, let's just read through some of them off the top of my head, if I can remember. Alan Jones, Prost, Rahal, Jacques Lafitte, Peroni, Jarrier, Rabak, Stommelin, Tom Price, uh, and of course, Keke Rosberg in Formula Atlantic. Uh, they all went through Fred Orbert's, um school of, of, of race driving by racing for him and driving for him and his team. Um, he was the ATS team manager in 1978. Um, he stopped running his own team after Chevron uh, stopped producing cars after the death of Dick Bennett, uh, Derek Bennett, sorry, not Dick Bennett, Derek Bennett. Um, and then after that, he resurrected his Formula Atlantic team. He had a driver by the name of Olivier Chandon de Braille. Now, I'm not, I've probably murdered that. Now, Olivier Chandon de Braille was, was, I'm not sure how good a driver he was, but he was, he had plenty of money to go all the way to the top as he was the, the heir to the Moe Chandon uh, <laughs> um, empire, let's call it. Unfortunately, he was killed. He was killed at Moroso Park, um, which is now, I think it's now the Palm Beach Raceway or something in Florida. Yes, and, it is. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, and Fred Orpert just stopped racing after that. He couldn't, he just didn't want to continue. Um, and that's a lovely little a, a little read. This is definitely a toilet read because it's nice and light. It's, uh, and, a, and just to finish on, a book that I bought, I think, in 2019, and I think it was the 2019 Mitty. Um, and it's a book by uh, a, a woman called Sylvia Wilkinson. Have you, have you heard of her, Jim? <laughs> I'm not sure if you were there at the time, actually. But we all... We, yes, we uh, yes to, and yes. Sylvia is a dear friend. She's a longtime partner of another dear friend, John Morton. And yeah, yeah Sylvia is... Uh, 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 an outstanding writer and uh, yeah. go ahead because I can tell you about a couple more books that she's written. Well, you do that Jim, because this book is a book that uh, John Morton was the uh, honoree at the 2019 um, Mitty, and it's only recently that I was able to pick the book up. And it's, this is quite a different book because it doesn't chart John Morton's career. And I've got my own personal John Morton story, which was made me a complete fool uh, at the first petite, but I'll come to that in a moment. But it just basically, um, 
it's called it's called the stainless steel carrot um sort yeah. of you know uh, in in connection to uh chasing the dream in a race car and it basically is a story of 18 months of john's connection to the datsun 510 campaigning it um in the um american uh, saloon car championship and it's it's one of those books coming from the other side of the fence uh, where I've sort of ventured once or twice of just being part of a team and and the sacrifices and the effort and the energy that goes in to just turning up at an event, you know, and, and just keep on pushing. And, and it's a great read. It's a great read. And I'll just quickly tell you my John Morton story. I was not familiar with John Morton um, when I first went to work in America for the 1998 um, Petit Le Mans. And when I first met John Morton, you would not think John Morton, and in fairness to me, Jim, back me up on this, looking at John Morton, you would not say, that guy's a racing driver, would you? No. No. That guy's a school teacher. He probably <laughs> teaches geography. Um, and, and it was like, I, you know, what I remember, I don't remember the, the interview verbatim. It's just like, you know, um, have you raced at Road Atlanta before? Something I said to him, <laughs> and I was like, and then and then he kind of looked at me and thought, and then yeah, once or twice, and I, I I went away from that, and I thought, who's this John Morton guy? And I was beside myself when I found out who this legend was. Um, <laughs> I, it really was Sylvia Wilkinson. Try and find it. I'm not sure how readily available the stainless steel carrot is. But now, do you have do you have the do you have the stainless steel carrot, or do you have the stainless steel carrot, a racing odyssey revisited? I have an all, all racing odyssey revisited. Is this yeah, that's see, I have there. I have the original. I'm gonna have really? to get yes, I'm gonna have to get the, the isn't it? Yes, the revisited. But Sylvia, uh, the other thing that she did recently is an absolutely stunning biography of the late American racing car driver John Paul Jr. And it oh, is right. a totally unvarnished, honest look at his life and career, uh, what he had to deal with with a uh, with, with an outlaw father, and what it did to his career and his battle with Parkinson's. Uh, she has also written a bunch of uh, of fiction, which is also very good. She wrote um, "Dirt Tracks to Glory," which is one of the great definitive uh, books about the early days of stock car racing in the United States. Uh, she's written a couple primers about stock car racing, one about Formula One. Uh, this, and those books are written for kids. They're, they're little, you know, basic primers for someone, you know, seven to, to 11 years old, that, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So, yeah. And Sylvia was a longtime scorer as well. She was uh, very much in the, in the mode of Judy Stropis, who who many of you may have may have heard of, um, she was a, a, a very good uh, scorer that people would go to at the events if the, you know if they were arguing with if they were arguing with timing and scoring about their position on the racetrack. The first mm -hmm. person they would go to was Judy, and the second person they would go to for a second opinion was Sylvia, and <laughs> they were. <laughs> and if you had the backing of both of them, pretty much. Um, uh, race control. We go. Oh, sorry, my bad. Sorry, didn't, didn't mean to screw that up as badly as I did. Sorry. So, but yeah, it was. Uh, gosh, she's she and John are just one of those great couples that 
I'm blessed to have known uh, mm. in my career. I worked with John in 1981 when I had my first job in this business doing uh, second fiddle. I was the fill-in play-by-play guy for a guy by the name of Bruce Flanders. Uh, we used to package the Formula One races for ESPN, and Bruce was the was the star. But when Bruce couldn't do it, they let me sit in, and Morton was my analyst. And uh, we had some oh, wow. fun back in those days. Wow. That sounds like a dream team if ever I heard one, actually, Jenny. It's, <laughs> it's a bad dream, power. maybe. But <laughs> nightmare. And, and, and I too have some. I too have some John Morton stories that are just, uh, just, just un- out, out of this world and a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. I got to know him relatively well, and it was great to have him at the minute. I hadn't seen him for years. Um, and the stainless steel carrot and auto racing odyssey revisited i've just checked it's available for kindle um yes if, you know if if you are uh, down with the kids and you've got a kindle i have got a kindle but i much prefer to hold a book but it oh, is available yeah. and it's worth it's worth getting the kindle out and dusting it off just for this one um were we talking about um tv and documentaries yeah. and the like yeah have you guys seen the recent one on Sky documentaries about Michelle Mouton, the Queen of Speed, it's called? No, I have Ooh, it downloaded to watch, but tell us if, about it. Jim, I know you're a rally guy, and it's all about the career of Michelle Mouton, and she's a part of this documentary. There is some absolutely outstanding footage from the Group B era and prior to that. And it also goes back to the very beginning of her career when she was just starting out. And she obviously had a bit of funding behind her from the fact from her father, who, and she campaigned a, a Porsche 911. She even campaigned a Lancia Stratos. Um, and then she was picked up by Audi. And she was picked up by Audi in the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Um, the only woman. And if, you, if you're looking at, a t- you know, if, if, if the debate was the greatest women in motorsport, I think it you would find it very hard not to see Michelle Mouton come out on top because yeah, without she a doubt. The, yeah. she's the only woman woman to have won a World Rally Championship event. And she's won more than one. Um, and she came within a point of winning the World Rally Championship in 1982. And the doc, I'm not going to spoil the documentary for you because there's a, there's a read between the lines as to how she didn't quite get the job done in 82. Um, there's a big reason, and maybe we'll talk more when you've seen it, but it's available on Sky Documentaries, and it's well worth... It's almost two hours long, I think, if I remember rightly, and it's it's awesome. You'll just, just soak it up. I'll um, never... F- go ahead. But no, no, go on. I was just going to move on to something else, Jim. Go on, if you've got Michelle... Well, I'll never on. forget her first trip to Pikes Peak. I, I was there for oh, that yeah, yeah, because that was huge news because she was going to take the Audi, the, the Quattro up the hill. Yes. And the hairy chested lumpy boys of the world of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb at the time were just aghast that a woman was going to go up the hill. <laughs> and there was apparently, I mean, they jerked them around and scrutineering and every opportunity they could to, to tweak their nose, they did. Mm. And I'll never forget her leaving the paddock one time and she just sprayed down with gravel, the entire group of scrutineers. (laughs) (laughs) 
she the the girl had some serious stones. I mean, she was the real deal. I got to see her in person, both racing uh, in Washington State when Washington State here in the states held a world around the World Rally Championship, and I also got to see her in 1984 at the RAC Rally and 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 at Pikes Peak. And good lord, that woman could drive. And she was it, what comes through in the documentary was her. The and her co-driver was a real hottie. And I know that's well, sexist, Michelle, Michelle and so Luke, I apologize Michelle ahead of time. Yeah, but when you're a 24-year-old yeah. man in America and you see this this race car driver and her co-driver, uh, it's like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, Jim, uh, as, as beautiful as women as they were, they were absolutely at the top of their sport. And what a demanding the sort of demanding personality you expect. I know we're circuit racing guys and we're very much, uh, we've seen, a, you know, demanding race drivers. Michelle Mouton was in that category of driven focus and she absolutely didn't give her team an inch. She, you know, they're coming in, you, you get some great insight in the documentary of them in the, in the service halts and stuff. And she's getting out and she's engaging with the team and, and she doesn't hold back. She's very much the one in charge. And, you know, they better get, we need to get this right because, you know, we're, we're going to win and lose as a team. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, brilliant documentary. Um, and stay with Sky Documentaries, which um, I'm going to, um, I, I don't know if you you get this as well, Jim, through the Fox Network, I think, with Sky. Um, the um, Race to Perfection series of documentary, I think the six episodes um, uh, I don't. I don't think we might have that over here. I'm. I'm not sure. Oh. The, the Sky relationship in America is a little fuzzy because is it? There's a there's a Sky relationship with uh, ESPN now, um, right. because of a. The, I won't get into the long business details, but yeah, that 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 was part. That relationship was part of what Disney bought year, years ago, and and so, right. but yeah, so it's a bit confusing. But sometimes you can find that stuff. So. Carry on. Oh, well, we'll have a look at have a look for a, the race to perfection, which is about six parts. I think it's six parts. Um, it's 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 about the history of Formula One, but it's not chronological. It jumps around from period to period and and subject matter to subject matter. It might you know it might focus on um, the Ferrari team from the nineteen fifties, and then it'll go to a focus on Alan Jones winning the nineteen eighty World Championship, or uh, and then it'll go to something completely um, out of kilt. And you, it, when you watch it, you kind of think, oh, that, well, you know, why have they transitioned into that? It's, but watch it and watch it again, which you will. And I, I think I've watched it about three times. Um, it, it's available on Peacock here in the United States. I just, I just, right, just looked that up. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So if you're in the United States, it's on Sky Documentary. So um if you haven't got Sky TV, I'm not sure how you would access that. But they are they are perhaps. Um, I, th- I think Race to Perfection was 2021. You know how you know how 2020 <laughs> and 2021 is just yes, become they've one just year. merged, haven't they? Yeah, and and the responsible adult. I, I saw her tweet um, just before was it the Petit Le Mans race, and she said, "What a what a year this has been." Uh, it started in Dubai with uh, the race being rained off uh, and. She mentioned a couple of other things, and we were like, hey, that was the beginning of 2020. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So it was. What happened to 2020? 
Jeez. It's, it's like all, that, it all it? just has merged into one. And yeah, I mean, from from my point of view, I've I've, I've kept probably my my high spot back till last, but it was uh, it was only last month, and that was going with with Bill Warner to the Historic Motoring Awards, where he won the Lifetime Achievement Award, and that that was that was such a treat to be on the table with Bill and. It was one of those things where, like all of us, I've I've been I've been in and around racing cars and motor racing virtually all my life, and that there were people coming up to the table and shaking his hand, and I was thinking, I know who that is, I know who that is, and and there were all sorts of of great names and, and people, and then at the end of the evening. We were talking, and I said to Bill, I really haven't had a chance to sit and talk to you much. And he said, no, no, it's been a bit busy. He said, uh, do you fancy lunch on Monday? So I said, oh. yeah. So um, he and Jane and Lisa and I went uh, went to lunch in, in London, and we just sat and talked. And that I th- I thought, okay, well, you know, a busy, a busy London restaurant, it's always best either to book a table early or late so you don't walk into the, the one o'clock rush. So I booked a table for quarter past 12 and we were all there early. And at half past three, I said, I've really got to go. <laughs> <'Cause I'm, laughs> and and it was, we just sat and talked. And, and that there are a few, a few people I know, and I'm sure this is true for all of us, where they're not name dropping, they're just telling you their lives, and that Bill does that all the time. And uh, the the tales of you know, well, yeah, Brian Redman came and and said this, and you know, he's great mates with with Brian, and all sorts of stuff like that. And that was that was probably one of those things where you think pinch me because this isn't happening because it's uh it's great and he uh and he also brought to that lunch a copy of his latest book which is called the other side of the fence because bill was a star photographer for road and track for many years and it's all those it's all those photographs um which are absolutely brilliant and i'll put i'll put the details up on our facebook page because it's a book that really everybody must see because it's uh, it's so good and and written in in typical Bill Warren style. It's all written as captions to the to the pictures, but mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. That was probably the high spot of my my motorsport year was just sitting down and talking to Bill for three hours. That, which... that does sound fabulous, Paul. And it no surprise that time just flew by and. Um, how is Bill settling into retirement then? Obviously, not very well if he's jetting across the other side of the world. If I if I told you, and I, I hope I'm not um, not breaking a confidence, he's writing a novel. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah, fiction doesn't surprise me at all. Based on motorsport. Bit, oh right, okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. That's um, right in his wheelhouse, isn't it? Isn't it? And yeah. you know, it'll be, it'll be one of those things where, um, again, we've all done it. Where you sit down with somebody who is well connected, and they say, 
you can't you can't tell anybody this, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and you know, we've we've all got those stories that we can't tell, and that I think if Bill's writing a novel, there will be all sorts of things. That, I know what he's talking about there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who I know who this character is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, and keep your eyes open for that one. So moving forward to 2022, chaps, Paul Jerd, what? Uh, what would you like to see in 2022? What's your plans? What have you got? I'd actually just like to see some historic racing. Unfortunately, say other than Goodwood, I didn't really get to anything this year, which was a combination of clashes with, with other responsibilities, the, the the strange things that were happening across the year, I think, and just sort of family issues and bits and pieces. And the, your kids, they, just, they, they want your attention, don't they? It's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> my, mine are both in their 40s. They still do. <laughs> So yeah, get get out and about a bit more then. That's Definitely, the yeah. I think I think that's the case. Yeah, Jim, what about you? Twenty twenty two. Well, um, I'm hoping that, uh, like Paul, that we get to go to more events. I'm hoping to get in the big silver bird and come over and see you lot again. Yes, and um, do some some fun stuff over there, and um, watch this space for some. Big personal news, uh, not too distant in the near future. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do um, next year is uh, a little reunion event with two dear friends of mine. Because on January 30th of uh, 2022, it will mark the 40th anniversary of the launch of a program called Motor Week Illustrated. That was our first show. And if you go on YouTube and you uh, search Motor Week Illustrated, uh, you'll find all, many of the, of the different episodes. Motor Week Illustrated was a half-hour motorsports news show that, as I say, launched in, in 1982. It was the first show of its kind, and it, I'm proud to say, changed the face of how motorsports was covered in the United States, because we covered everything from swamp buggy races in Naples, Florida, to Formula One, the World Motorcycle Grand Prix, Supercross, uh, everything. And we, it was dubbed television's fastest half hour. Some highlights were 45 seconds. A long highlight package would be a two and a half minutes. Uh, we covered, we broke some unbelievable news during those those days. And... Uh, did some 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 great work that I'm particularly proud of is uh, I, I won my first Emmy for for that program. Oh wow! And um, oh. it was uh, Dave Despain was the host of the show. Bob Varsha was uh, the co-host of the show. I began my career as an associate producer and eventually moved up to producer and uh, was kind of the rally Formula One sports car racing correspondent. So I got some some airtime and and really was able to. Uh, that's where I earned my journalistic chops, working not only for Dave, who was the best writer I've ever met, but a gentleman by the name of Fred Reinstein, who was probably the best journalist I ever met. He was a uh, a former NBC News person, who frankly uh, was responsible for the uh, the video of Lee Harvey Oswald being assassinated by Jack Ruby because he oh, was wow. the pool feed director then and insisted on there being a camera uh, where Lee Harvey Oswald was supposed to come out of the basement of the jail. Uh, 
there hadn't been a camera planned for there and Fred insisted on it and he was the one that got the shot. So, um, it was, uh, it was a, a halcyon time for me and it will be a 40th anniversary. You know, shows came after it, uh, ESPN's, uh, speed, uh, speed week and, and TNN had a show called race day. Well, all, all of those shows got their start solely because of the success of this, Ted Turner took a risk on these two guys, uh, Ken Squire and Fred Reinstein, with their idea to do a motor sports news show in 1982, uh, long before car racing was as prevalent on television, not only in the United States, but worldwide. And so I'm looking forward to, to trying to put together a reunion thing with, with Dave and Bob, and we're in some preliminary discussions. So keep your, keep your fingers crossed that, uh, that we can pull that off. And, uh, so yeah, that that'll sounds, be a great anniversary. Like, yes, that that would be a an emotional time, I'm sure. Bradley, what have uh, what are you looking forward to? Everything. 2021's not quite over, Paul, and we're wishing our life away here. We are looking towards 2022. Got a packed calendar already chopping up. The 24H series um is looking like it's forming up. Got Dubai, remember, just after Christmas, the Abu Dhabi Six. Hours as well as part of the 24th series. Uh, Daytona at the end of January kind of kicks it off. And then for the 24th series, Magello, 12 hours in March, end of March. Lovely to be, it would, look, it would be fantastic to be able to get to Italy in the spring. Um, and that would be some semblance of normality. Um, HSR season, um, hopefully if travel permitting, I'll be able to get back to the United States. I'm looking maybe sort of uh, reconnect with HSR and get the road Atlanta towards the end of April. And then the following weekend after the MIDI, as we've already mentioned at the Donington Historic Festival, Thruxton Historic Festival, unfortunately in 2022, is scheduled for the 11th and 12th of June. And that's when the big race is, I'm afraid. Um, so there's already a very packed calendar and um, there's a few things overlap um, as ever. Um, I haven't even mentioned the karting. Um, I'm involved in a lot of karting next year as well. So um, again, trying not to wish the life away too much, but um, I know once we get towards New Year's Eve and once I've seen the urine with a glass of whatever, um, I'll be thinking about the Dubai 24 hours because that's when the season starts, isn't it? And it's, you, you and said it's, you're in, right? It's, it's, um, you're in, it, not urine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, See, the God, I could have sworn you said a glass of urine and I was yeah, like sorry, what? Uh, yeah so, so, sorry we'll see the old ears year sorry in. yes the new, <laughs> new year's in um it's the 10th anniversary of Radio Le Mans coverage of the Dubai 24 hours um so it's a bit of an anniversary which is hence Jim why I asked you for your memories just check your email out. yeah yeah I've seen it mate it's brilliant um that is absolutely brilliant. Like I said to everyone, um, basically, Paul, what I said to um, the likes of Jim, Bruce, Paul Trusswell, Johnny Palmer, uh, um, I haven't mentioned it to Hindoff yet because I haven't got time um, for, for John's account, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will do. And uh, I said to everybody, you know, every, every single one of you could probably fill a page uh, to fill a page of the magazine, the Creventing magazine. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that, first and foremost. 
let's see if we can get to Dubai. Let's hopefully not have too much of an issue. Travelling remains to be seen. Um, but I'm sure, you know, Radio Le Monde will be there in some form um, to cover the race because it's, it's been, for the past few years, certainly for me, it's been a great way of kicking the, the, the new season off in sunnier climes and it's always the showcase event for the 24-inch series uh, with the biggest grid of the year pretty much that being the norm um, and hopefully we can see that series getting back to that so it's gonna be a busy time for all of us then i hope uh, one way or another um, we we could have had much of this conversation a year ago and I, I don't want to be a party pooper, but you know we were all looking forward to a great 2021, and didn't really happen. But I think hopefully we can we can see a lot more happening this year. But for now, that's uh, that's it for the Historic Racing News Radio Show. And thank everybody for their support. Thank you for your support out there. Um, we now see well over. 30,000 downloads every month of the show, which puts us well up in terms of podcasts generally, uh, that if you're doing more than about a 1,000, you're doing very well, and we're doing 30,000, so we're very happy with that. And we love Thank you, fans. Thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and tell your friends. That's, that's what we do it for. And that... Please continue to give us your feedback either at Hist Race News, uh, sorry, Hist Racing News. Um, our primary source is our Facebook page, the Historic Racing News Facebook page. We're also on um, YouTube, so you can find us on there with all sorts of good stuff that we've done over the years. Uh, not yet on TikTok. But I haven't quite worked out TikTok yet. I don't know if anybody else has. But uh, uh, we you're, quite... you're, you're, uh, you know how they have geo blocking? Yeah. In, yeah. Well, they have age blocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I can't probably... get on it either. That was not a slam at you. That was uh... no, no, no. I think uh, I think I'm probably about forty years too old for TikTok. But but never mind with that. Um, thoughts for the just a. a a farewell to to all the fans, Jim. Well, just thank you for your continued support and putting up with our shenanigans, and uh, all the best to everyone for the the Christmas, New Year, Hanukkah, holiday, Kwanzaa, however, whatever you might celebrate season, and um, stopping short of being political. Please get vaccinated. That way we can all get back to uh, living our lives and going to races. Well said there. Paul? Oh, just a big thank you, really, to, to everyone who is downloading it. I think we have a lot of fun putting this together, and I hope that fun transfers over to whoever listens. You know, I sometimes think that maybe we need the tagline of um, surprisingly successful. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, just really, thanks, guys. We're, we're, we're having fun. We hope you are too. And, uh, yeah, please keep listening. Joe? Well, it was a fan. I'm not sure whether it was tweeted or messaged on Facebook who said, when I listen to the podcast, it's like sitting around a, uh, a table in a pub and waxing lyrical about, you know, whatever we wax lyrical about. And you know what? That, for me, just epitomizes why we do that. It's, you know, Jim's across the Atlantic. You guys are in the South. 
Paul's a little bit further north and I'm really north and we can come together and we can share stories and opinions. Um, and, you know, we continue to create history because when that clock strikes 12 on the 31st of December, 2021 becomes historic racing. So <laughs> we, we just continue. We, we can talk about anything we want for the, for the past 100 years. Well said. And I would echo what everybody else has said of, of thank you for, for listening and thank you for being part of it. I would also like to thank Paul Jurd, Jim Roller and Joe Bradley for um, allow, allowing me to sit around that table in the pub with them because I've had a fabulous time this year and that we've, I hope that we've got the right mix, but please keep, keep us in touch. Thank you guys. And that my name is still Paul Tarsi and as always ladies and gentlemen if you have been thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>